Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Christ Church uh, Jerusalem. Here we are in our Wednesday evening Bible study, and we are studying the book of Leviticus. We're currently in Chapter 5, learning uh, what Moses is doing when he is teaching uh, the people with uh, what, what I essentially think is the heart of God. And we'll eventually get to, uh, well, uh, as uh, Shimshon said, the heart of, uh, of, the, of the chiasm, the heart of the, of the letter, chapter 19. And we'll see the love of God as he demonstrates through his commandments. We acknowledge that the Lord is present. We believe in an omnipresent God, which means the Spirit of God is with me and he's with you, all at exactly the same time. And that binds us all together in a unity that we can't even fathom, but we believe it. And so we're friends and we're family and we're a community in the name of the Messiah. And we welcome his presence. And one of the ways we appreciate the presence of the Messiah is to pray. And so Teresa, our sister from London, will lead us in our prayer, acknowledging the Lord's presence. Sister, pray us in. Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have to meet as a community from different parts of the world. And thank you that you've opened up this opportunity for us to wrestle with the text and to learn from each other and to learn from Aaron and Motti. Um, but ultimately, we're always learning from you as you speak through them. Father, we bless you for this opportunity and we thank you. And Father, I ask now that you would help us to clear our minds of, of all the distractions of the day and that our hearts and our ears would be open to hear and to receive what, you, what the treasure that you have in store for us and then to show us how we may put this into practice. We bless you, Father, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Yes, we indeed very bless your name. Thank you very much. All right, guys. As is our tradition, we uh, do a little recap from last week's discussion, which was great. We read the passage and we just we talked, and uh, it was an absolute delight. So I wrote down some of the things and put it all together in our summary. Leviticus 4, 22 to 37. The procedure for the sacrifice of the sin offering for unintentional sins is the same for whoever sins, whether they be the anointed priest, the elders of the community, the leadership, or the ordinary member of the community. Everyone is equal in the case of sin. This passage in Leviticus calls on us to reevaluate our view of sin and our personal responsibility. We are responsible even for the unintended consequences of our actions. God wants everyone to accept responsibility for their actions, from the least until the greatest amongst us. Offerings are also given in public, making the public confession of sin a difficult thing to do for some people. Unintentional sins are not meant to be hidden, but actually to be dealt with, something modern church leadership often fails to appreciate. 
Moses instructs the people of Israel not to put on masks, not to pretend they've done no wrong, make excuses for themselves, and generally refuse to deal with unintentional transgressions. The repeated affirmation, they must bring, reminds us that this is not optional, but actually a requirement of a healthy relationship with the living God. We have previously discussed the priest Messiah or the anointed priest and the elders of the community, later called the Sanhedrin. Now we come to the next level of leadership, the Nasi. It's an interesting word in Hebrew, and it can be used to refer to high-level rulers as well as junior officials. For example, the president of the United States is called a Nasi, as can the leader of a synagogue. Although in this context, we are probably talking about family heads and military captains and such like. Our passage begins assuming that all leadership will sin in some way. Once the unintentional sin is discovered, it needs to be dealt with. Sin cannot be dealt with until we are aware of it. However, despite our awareness or lack thereof, we also remain guilty. Ignorance is not bliss. Sometimes it's actually quite the opposite. Ignorance can be dangerous. Awareness is only one part of the journey. The next is acceptance of responsibility. The desire, which would come from the heart of the worshipper, is to restore the relationship with God. The leader must bring a male offering and the common person must bring a female one. The difference is in the value, with the male offering being rarer and more expensive. Due to the sheer expense of the sin offering and its rarity, it is highly probable that this was not performed very often by the worshipper. You simply would run out of animals in Israel. Why are there differences between offerings of males and females? Good question. The Hebrew scriptures do make distinctions between the genders, unlike our current culture. For example, the 10th plague in Egypt only affected the firstborn sons, not the firstborn daughters. Why not? Yet we do not see the feminist movements around the world demanding that girls be placed before the angel of death. Quite interesting. Unintentional sins can occur by trespassing against any of the Lord's commands, both the greater and the lesser ones. All of God's word is holy, and we should be careful in thinking otherwise. God cares about the holiness of his people, whether they are a priest, a ruler, or a commoner. The holiness of the worshipper is a reflection of the holiness of the Lord. The sacrificial acts are public. Confession is public, as is also the assurance of forgiveness. The redemption of the Lord is something that can be seen. A relationship with the Lord is also something that can be seen. The Israelites who bring their offerings and sacrifices do so because they are in a relationship with God. Otherwise, they wouldn't bother to seek a restored relationship or seek forgiveness or even act in holiness. And so now we begin our fifth chapter. Let's see uh, how we get. I'm going to read the first 13 verses. Um, why? 
because then my Bible, like yours, probably has a heading that separates 13 and 14. Not there in the original. So let's just read 13 and figure out why they, why they uh, stopped it. Okay, brothers and sisters, Leviticus chapter 5. If anyone sins in that he hears a public uh, adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the manner, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock or a carcass of an unclean swarming thing, it is hidden from him that he has become, and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt. Or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort of uncleanness may be with, which one becomes unclean and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses his sin that he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer the first uh, for one for the sin offering, he shall wring its head from its neck, he shall not sever it completely, but he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering, according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah, a fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil in it, put no frankincense on it, for it's the sin offering. And shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion and burn up this on the altar on the Lord's food offerings, which is a sin offering. Thus, the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest, as it is with the grain offering. All right. So, I know, here we are again, still inside offerings. My gosh, what are we learning here? Let's have a look. As is our tradition, just based on a literal reading, is there something there that jumps out at you as an initial initial thought before we jump in verse one is really powerful eh? and it's so interesting in our world of, of videos where people will stand by and take a video of, a, of an event without actually you know maybe getting involved and trying to help the situation you know wow that's a very interesting thought uh we've all probably had a look at the first couple of verses and thought oh my gosh we're going to talk about 30 45 minutes just on this one verse 
And Sharon, you just highlighted a very modern critique of this. How many videos do we watch of people filming something going wrong and do absolutely nothing to intervene other than film it and put it on Facebook? Unbelievable. What kind of world have we come to? Because there in my version says, actually, they will be held responsible, the last phrase. So, like, you yeah. are morally responsible before God to do something in those situations, you think? Yeah. This is, um, this is the sin of omission, right? The, the sin that comes from doing nothing. It's very interesting. This is a very interesting passage, also relevant to a critical New Testament event. Uh, I was actually riveted last week reading the Hebrew text and then reading the English translations. Translations have added quite a bit here that is not in the Hebrew. Uh, the Hebrew just mentions oath. And if he's heard or not heard, uh, it does not add the whole business about hearing a call or, or adjuration. Uh, that's been added by scholars who came who puzzling over this for decades and generations, finally concluded that this is actually re with regard to a public call for witnesses to a, a certain event. Uh, this word Allah in Hebrew, that is this oath, is uh, associated with witnesses, witnessing, bearing uh, testimony in other portions of the Torah. And when we realize this now, it appears to be exactly what the high priest did with Jesus at his trial. He was quoted as saying, Exarchizo said, before the living God, meaning I place you under oath before the living God. After Jesus had been silent throughout his whole trial, when the high priest said this, he apparently was invoking Leviticus 5.1 in an official proceeding, placing Jesus in quite a dilemma. He had adopted uh, silence as his strategy or tactic or godly, uh, perhaps, cooperation with the project. But when this placing under oath came, he's confronted with the traditional legal phrase, but he's also, at, which in effect is part of his testimony publicly in Israel, but he's also coming into a conflict with his own teaching not to uh, swear by an oath, uh, not by heaven, not by etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he apparently chose a, a very elegant compromise in order to humor the high priest, answer the formality of the uh, adjuration, but not explicitly make the statement, yes, I'm the Messiah. It's a hugely interesting process that in, is exactly in accordance with this uh, apparent formula at the beginning of Leviticus 5. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah, shalom, everyone. One thing I notice here is that there is an exception to the rule. Um, if one cannot afford the sheep or the goat, then it can go for the birds. Then if you cannot get the bird, then it can go for the grain offering. Um, if you look in um, Hebrews um, 9.22, it talks about without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But if you see here, it, it still says that there is remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So we see there is exception to the rule. Yeah. Yep, it's true. Le Leviticus that says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. No, it's Hebrews, 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 Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding. And yet we find in this text, if you're poor 
and you can't afford an animal because as, as we've been discussing in, in, in the previous sacrifices, animals are not cheap and they don't multiply as fast as things like, say, fish or rabbits, okay? You know, um, and so it becomes very difficult to source the appropriate sacrifice. And, of course, if you are poor, what do I do? Well, God has given a way, which is to make something very cheap and, and accessible, which is flour, which everybody has. Make a little cake, one little cake. You can do it in your own home, as we have seen previously. You can bring it to the altar, and that will be accepted. And as Shimon said, it doesn't have any blood in it, and yet yeah. you will still get forgiveness. So we need to be very careful when we, we uh, um, hold up the mantra, you know, Jews don't have a temple. They can't offer sacrifices, so therefore they're all doomed to hell. So, well, let's just be a little bit more uh, gracious because Daniel didn't seem to have a problem. Roddy, you've got a hand next and then multi. Yeah, I was going to mention, um, like Shimshon, about the uh, no spilling of blood or shedding of blood. And in particular, it says not only for atonement but for forgiveness. And for me, I don't know that I've ever noticed this before. Maybe it's just my Bible. So the high priest will uh, do something for the atonement and you will be forgiven. Yeah, we do need to have a discussion about the verb to atone in Hebrew. Uh, I'm not quite sure we're ready tonight, but we will get up to it before we finish Leviticus. But thanks for bringing that up, um, Roddy. I'm I'm going to uh, make a note of that, make sure we'll get to wrestle with it as we go through the text, okay? But at the end of each paragraph, after the atonement, then it says, and you will be forgiven. Yes, so I don't it does. know if that's a translation problem or not. Okay. No, no, it's, it's chapter four has said the same thing. Okay? You will be you will be forgiven. Okay? Moti. If we look at the Hebrew translation, can everybody hear me well? Mm-hmm. I have new, these new headphones. I look like a YouTuber, but yeah, anyways. <laughs> it says, well, who at? right? So it's like if he is a witness or he knew or he saw. But here, Rashi says he shouldn't be disqualified as a witness. So like he shouldn't be a relative, you know, to that person who is in that event that is happening. So he should be a qualified witness. So if he is a relative of somebody that he that is involved in this problem or thing then he is disqualified as a witness therefore he is not sinning ah so 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 what rashi is saying is he's discussing a um, an event where yes. close family are called on as witnesses which is then yeah. going to cause some sort of dilemma yeah. within the court scene you know, yeah. trying to get a brother to testify against a brother yeah, let's say he saw it, he yeah. witnessed it, or like yeah. he knew it, but yet he's a relative, so he, he's not sinning. So he, because he's disqualified in the big thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I, 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 I that wonder. That should come for the trier of fact, though, Aaron, Moti. Well, that should come for the, the hearer, the trier of fact, as to the veracity of how much prejudice he may or may not have in right. his testimony. But if he's a witness, he's a witness. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would argue that he's still under a duty, even though that duty is not imposed by most uh, civil and or criminal laws. 
around your honor <laughs> just kidding i'm not going to yeah no i i on on paper it shouldn't matter you know your relationship to the event if you saw you saw if you didn't you didn't of course any trial lawyer like roddy knows all you got to do to sow doubt in a in a in a family member's witness is just to say to the jury did you know this guy's the guy's brother i mean i don't know maybe he's trying to protect him it, it gets a little it can get problematic although technically as roddy says according to the law shouldn't matter yeah. but it cuts both ways Yes. Let's say that the brother or the wife is going to implement him in a crime or an infraction or a sin. Then you're wanting to give them more credibility. This is these things have to be judged by the uh, the trier of fact, whoever's there at the time. Okay. Any other things that jumped out at us before we begin to wrestle with the text? All righty. Let's have a look. Okay. So we begin um, looking at uh, what gets often labeled as the sin of omission, the, the sin of doing nothing. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration, that's what my ESV says, uh, to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know about the matter, yet he does not speak, he will bear the iniquity. Okay. So uh, we have a court scene. Who in, in the ancient world, who do we go for for our courts? go before the priests. We don't have uh, judges, as we understand the word judges. Um, and so the separation of church and state doesn't actually exist in antiquity, right? The, uh, the, the, the priests are, are the judges. And, um, and so you go before them. And there is this sin that occurs that if you happen to know the truth and you do not speak it, it actually accounts to you as some sort of guilt. Um, so, REA, you were mentioning that this reflects the silence of Jesus at his court uh, appearance. It appears to be relevant to his trial and the high priest's um, invocation of this formula that required him to testify. Right. So, so remember at the trial of Jesus, what do we discover that the Messiah initially does in his defense? He says nothing. In fact, we have prophecies, you know, before my accusers, I was as silent as, as a sheep. And, and maybe Yeshua was following through that prophecy, perhaps, or um, perhaps he was uh, not trying to say something that would actually get him cleared. Remember, in, in, in the Gospel of John, Yeshua says, no one takes my life unless I lay it down willingly, right? You know, not saying that uh, the death of Jesus was assisted suicide because that would be not the right way to say it, but um, in, in terms of a defense, uh, Jesus says at the start, at the start, okay, nothing. Uh, Mordecai, Moti? That's a very good point. Thank you, Arya. But didn't he say, uh, like, are you the son of the living God? And he said, I am. And then he stopped speaking, right? So we, he actually did say something, didn't he? he? He didn't say exactly, I am the son of the living God. He said, you said it. Uh, now, from this time on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. That's pretty explicit without exactly saying it. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, it's incredibly clever if you think about it in a little, in a, in a Jewish exegesis. But Jesus he doesn't say it. Does, he didn't say I'm the guy stuck. who's coming in the clouds. He just says, you're going to see. You're going to see. <laughs> yeah, we saw um, Joshua did the same thing to Achan. Um, when he say, I, I say, my son, I... I I, I counsel you by the name of God. Tell me what have you done? You know, when he took the accosting. And um, at that point in time, we see that um, Achan had to, you know, speak out. I think it, it, it became a tradition that when you invoke the name of God to, to, to ask somebody some things, the person has to speak. And okay. um, it was very expedient that Yeshua would respond at that point in time. Of course, he was following the prophecy in Isaiah 53. Um, that says he opened not his mouth, even though he was oppressed and he was abused, yet he opened not his mouth. But it came to a point that when that, um, the name of the Lord was used to um, invoke him to speak, he had to speak. And uh, of course, cleverly as um, he, he answered, um, he said, you have spoken, as he said, you have said it, and um, the rest of the story. So it's, I think it's, it's something that... Um, we, 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 will, we will see in every place of the scripture where it, the name of the Lord is invoked on, on people to speak. In the Western world, what is one of the first things we do to a witness? Make them to swear. Yeah. The first yeah, thing we do is yeah. we go, oh, my gosh, we've got ourselves a witness. They're not going to say anything. Quick, stick your hand on a Bible and start swearing, okay, so that you have to actually speak. Right. Right. He's spoken not in self-defense, but in total control, even under trial as the God of the universe. Like oh, yes, absolutely. The Messiah was in control at the same time he was submitting to control. I know it's that interesting dichotomy that we find in the life uh, of the Messiah. Arya, your hand still raised? Yes, I, I just wanted to mention before we move on, I believe deeply that there is a personal application here for every disciple of Christ, a very somber one as well. We pay heed to the commandment to testify as it were in evangelism, and uh, we sometimes treat this as an option or, or not an option, but there's also the issue of compulsion here. There is an absolute necessity here. Those who have the Holy Spirit, he is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. As, as Peter pointed out when he was on trial, we are witnesses of these, these things, as is the Holy Spirit. And if we have him, we are witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. We do not have an option of, of standing silent in the midst of a world that is dying. We raise our voice on the behalf of the life of Christ and the fact that he is alive and that he is the risen Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so everybody understand um, the personal application in today's world? Um, I think that was pretty clear. We are witnesses of the resurrection. Although you and I, okay, have not seen it. We are 2,000 years after. But we have the Holy Spirit that testifies that this is actually true. We become partakers of that joy and of that truth and as witnesses of the resurrection. And so we have the obligation, yes, compulsion or however, whatever adjective you want to say, 
you and I have the obligation not to keep silent. We cannot keep silent in a world that is going insane, in a world that is heading towards judgment, uh, with, with testifying that uh, the truth is the, red, the, the Messiah is truth. Messiah is, is, is alive. And, uh, and if we keep silent, which is, as, and which is unfortunate, much of the world, much of the Christian world, much of the, the believing community, both in Israel and outside, let's, let's, let's just be honest, it's a bit of both, has been silent. It's been silent against injustice. We've completely ignored uh, some of the things that are going on in places like Nigeria, which um, I can Chimchon can probably vouch. His country is about to probably split into two. I mean, no one's really 100% sure what's exactly going to happen there. It's quite horrible. What's been going on in Myanmar is, is horrible. You know, the atrocities that occur to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan now that the Americans have pulled out. Okay? There are believers in Afghanistan. There are. And they grew in the last 20 years, and, uh, and, now, and now they suffer. And yet, what do we do? We are you know, silent. And um, here, I think, uh, this is actually, uh, uh, this is the word of the Lord. And I think that this is, and this, this rings true since the, since the time Moshe said it, okay, till, till until the Messiah comes, that um, our silence uh, is, is a sin against us. And that maybe we all have courage to speak the truth boldly mm-hmm. uh, in this way. Okay, excellent. So we've got a bit of personal application um, for ourselves. Okay, so this is in the, the, this initial sentence, the first one, is in the sin of omission on things that we see, witness. And we are witnesses of the truth. And, um, and now we go and instantly in verse 2 to something else which is this other uh, sin of omission. If anyone touches an unclean thing, whether it's a carcass of a wild animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock or a carcass of an unclean swarming thing, and it is hidden from him, so there's a bit of um, lack of awareness there, and then he has become unclean. So whether he is aware or not, that's irrelevant, he's become unclean, and then he realizes his guilt, this this, uh, Hashem, um, then he has to do something. Um, now, I happen to know, as I'm sure some of you do, that our dear brothers of the Kohanim, there's certain things that they're allowed to do and allowed not to do. Multi, you're a Kohen. So describe, brother, some of the things you're not allowed to do just because of the fact of your lineage. Yeah, I mean, a Kohen is not allowed to go to a cemetery or touch a dead body or even just, you know, like... Of course, to touch an animal too, but we are not allowed to go to seminary except if it's you, your mom or your sister. Like, yeah. I remember being in the cemetery uh, on um, Givat HaShaul, uh, Givat Shaul, the cemetery here, and you're, you're wandering around trying to find where, the, where you're actually supposed to bury people. And there's actually signs saying, this is the pathway for the Cohens. Everybody else yeah. has to go somewhere else. And you're like, oh, what, what's, what's their problem? Why can't they walk along the same, same as everybody else? We're just trying to bury someone. But um, they, they, they took, take this uh, law actually quite seriously. And uh, what about if uh, you get touched by a, a girl as you're walking down the street? Is that an issue as well? A girl? Yeah. Well, yeah, according to modern halakha, it is. 
It's not a carcass, it's alive. <laughs> alive and yes. well. Yes, yes. There's a there's a there's a, a modern um piece of halakha. I'm not quite sure if you're all aware, I'm sure some of you are. Doesn't say it in the text, it's just been an addition that uh you know if a woman touches you, uh then you become unclean. And 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 I remember walking up Jaffa Road one day behind a lady who was just running around touching Orthodox people as they walked past. That was really not very nice, okay? That was really actually very bad. But I, I, I remember first initially going, I don't understand what's going on. There's this girl. She wasn't young, a mature lady walking up trying to touch Orthodox people. And then they're, sort of, they're all got their hands up and they're running off to the other side of the road. And I'm thinking, what? Oh, I, I, Unless think, it's your wife or your sister, or your mother or your daughter. Yeah. Right, right. It's uh, modern halakha, but Mordecai, keep going. I think I know that girl. She worked for a mikveh. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> okay, because then because then these Jewish guys have to go to a mikveh and it costs them money. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think it was really bad for okay, but um, my initial reaction was, oh, that's so funny. I mean, here we are in Israel. This crazy stuff goes on. So the significance of Mahdi must be that, like, death is the enemy of God, right? Like, why? This is an interesting law or rule. That death is unclean, and the Kohens needs to kind of like keep themselves clean and holy all the time. So that's the reason why Kohen uh, can't go to the cemetery. And I, I got a very interesting uh, question here asked from Anne. She says, can you do so if you are a doctor or nurse? But there are many uh, liberal Kohen doctors and they do, but according to Halakha, I think you still can't do, right, Reverend? That, that, that I'm not really sure because I think once you're in a hospital situation, you're trying to save life. I think if he's dead, um, if yes, he's a carcass. Because, because um, the, the Zaka unit that runs around and collects all the dead, the blown up bodies of, of suicide bombers, they're touching, they're touching dead, death. But what they're doing is they're doing a higher mitzvah. Of, of burying the dead. So there, there must be some way to distinguish that. But um, would, Sharon, your little comment then is it's true. God is life. And what we are seeing in this passage is death. Death is so foreign to the Lord in, 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 in every, any aspect. He, he is life. And so he's actually said in, many, in, in other parts of the scripture, don't you ever bring death anywhere near me. I'm, I'm life. You know, my, my priests are perfect. They're not broken or wasted or, or disfigured. They're, they're, they're perfect. And uh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't touch a dead body and then come into my presence. But that's the stain of stuff that, that is so against, against me. Um, so it's very interesting that this, this, these laws occur, occur here. Teresa, you have a hand raised? Yeah, I do. Um... I'm just referring to that one when I used to go to meetings with the, the Orthodox rabbi I used to know, and there would be other men there and women. Um, he would shake the hand of the men. He knew them, you know, and then he knew me. But of course, it was just hello, Teresa, <laughs> hands behind his back. But he knew I wasn't going to try and shake his hand. But if he was meeting new women, he would put his hands behind his back so they weren't encouraged to hold out their hand. Um, I, I'm so, I forgive me for just taking you back for a moment to that, that verse one, because in um, Hirsch, and I don't understand it very well because there's lots of 
more, well, for me, more complex Hebrew that he sticks in the middle of some of his sentences. But what he does do is say that if, um, if, you, um, with, if you don't testify, you're asked to testify and you don't, um, then you're exempt from the judgments of the human courts but you're subject to the judgment of heaven. And in one of the commentaries I was reading, and I can't find the, the bit anymore, but it was suggested that this is an intentional sin because you're deliberately not going to testify. It is a deliberate choice. And of course, there are, there is no forgiveness, or at least there's no sacrifice for intentional sin, is there? Oh. So I just thought that was quite an interesting point. Uh, I shared the verse from Levictus. Um, 21. 21, yeah. That's why uh, Kohen can't go there. Yep, so the, the verse in the chat, there's a little chat that's just popped up, um, quite a few people speaking in. So for online, um, Leviticus 21, verse 1, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, so these are the Kohenim, and say to them, let no one defile himself for a dead person. And so that, that commandment still is in um, uh, application, particularly in the land of Israel. But in any Jewish cemetery, actually anywhere in the world, not particularly here, where you have designated pathways for for those who are descendants of uh, of, of Kohen, of uh, the sons of Aaron, um, so that they don't uh, defile themselves with the uh, with the taste of the sting of death. Um, in the chat, we were discussing things like, but wait, Yeshua touched a dead body. Yes, someone has to touch dead body. If your dad dies, no one stands around and goes, oh, dear, now what the heck do we do? You know, that was really, really, really unfortunate. And it was so, so rude of him not to die in his coffin where we could just carry him around. That would have been um, actually a lot better. Um, no, but Jesus, Aaron, touched her to bring her life. Correct. That, and and life. he's also not a, he's also not a Kohen. He's also correct. And even 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 um, religious people touch dead bodies when when putting them either in the grave or whatever, and you can do a baptism mikveh to actually remove yourself from the stain of sin. Now you, the the difference here with Yeshua is is the stain of sin touching him, or is the fact that he's touching death wiping out the stain of death? So there's a lot there's a lot more in there than, than uh, he, he's than, free from it. He can't. He correct is life. Well, effort. yes, and there's also that. There's also that. Also that oxymoron where he, his human body, is also experiencing decay, which is an interesting thing, just by the very fact that it's a human body. It's like the um, red heifer, right? The red heifer. They they have to take the ashes and <laughs> to be able to. Yeah. Uh, but if you touch it, you become unclean. Yes, so there's all. Yeah, I know. I know. There's all kinds right. of interesting laws where you sit and scratch your head and go, okay, this is so complicated. Why was it so complicated? Um, let's always go down to the heart of the issue and try and find our response, which is, um, interestingly enough, what REA brought up. Let's have a look at what Yeshua does and let's have a look at our response. Okay, is... Um, um, Yeshua was initially silent. The high priest used this verse to try and get him to talk. And applying this verse to us as disciples of the Messiah, we are witnesses of the risen Jesus, even though we haven't physically seen it. We are. We know this to be true. And so, therefore, we actually cannot keep silent. We should not. And um, I remember once uh, reading somewhere, and I cannot remember where I read it, but never let your silence be an affirmation. 
sometimes people talk and they say yeah. something that you, you, know, you know is not true. Yeah. But then because we say nothing, it comes across to everybody else. Oh, you must be agreeing with them. And people okay. sometimes say, I'm saying nothing. They actually say, I'm saying nothing. Yeah. So you make of that what you will is what they're saying. Yeah. And it's and as this as this as as God is saying through Moses, in some situations, that's actually quite inappropriate. That uh, that that's actually not the correct thing to do. Mm. Okay. Mordecai has a hand raised. I just want to give an example of uh, to verse two. And the last part of it, it says, it was hidden from him. Can I? Okay. So it is, I mean, this law was for the sanctuary and the holy animals that was used for sacrifices, but it still applies to us today. So there's a discussion going on. So there was this guy uh, who was invited to a breakfast to his friend's house. He's not super religious, but he's a Jewish person. And he helped them to prepare the breakfast and egg. And it was like an egg with bacon. So he actually touched the bacon. He even helped them to prepare it. And he even ate it. Then he asked them, oh, man, it's so nice. You know, like, it's so delicious. What was this? And they told him, oh, it was bacon. I was like, well, I'm Jewish. Because he doesn't look Jewish. So his, his friend didn't, you know, feel the, the need of telling him. So he freaked out. He went to a rabbi. And the rabbi <laughs> told him to go to a mikveh because because of this verse, he didn't know that it was an unclean animal. He ate it, he touched it, he even helped them to prepare it. So it's still of lies today, you know. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yep. I know. It, it's uh, it's yeah. remember the word of God is you know, a two-edged sword, but it speaks for eternity. The volume of the book speaks of me. Um, this applies to us too. We have to figure out how we, as disciples of the Messiah, what we learn from some of these things and. Uh, there is this, there is this, this, this tension that we find where we discover um, sins of omission within ourselves. Later on, we discover, oh, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Um, in fact, in modern liturgies, for those of us who actually um, go to churches that use liturgies, um, one of our confessions uh, or part of our confession is always to say, dear Lord, please, please forgive me of the things that I've deliberately done. Please forgive me of the of the good that I didn't do, which is a very interesting um, uh, uh, prayer where you say, Lord, I knew I could have done something good. I knew it, but I didn't. I was weak. I was scared. Uh, I was emotional. Couldn't be bothered. I was rushed. There's all kinds of reasons why we chose not to do good. And uh, here, here, uh, the, the intention is, well, actually, that's actually a bad thing too. And uh, so it's actually included in some of our uh, liturgies. And, and for me, um, as, a, as an Anglican, when it, when it comes time for me to, to sit and pray, that's actually one of the, the, the parts of the liturgy that, I, that I, I sit and concentrate on the most, where I say, Lord, there's, there's things I should have done. And please, can you give me some courage next week to do them? Because I don't want to get to yeah. this stage again. Yeah, I I think the risk there with that that sin is that although you might be saying I can't do it, what you're you might be doing is withholding that goodness 
It's like you're withholding something that you could be doing, even you, because you want to punish or you don't want to reward somebody when you know that you could. Withholding that is, could be what you're doing by not doing it yep. intentionally. And, and are we not, you and I, supposed to be the hands and feet of the Messiah on earth? Are we not to share the blessings of God yes. to creation? And to those of our friends. And if we turn around for whatever reason and decide, like, just like, yeah, as, as you said, we just punish or withhold a blessing or yes. yeah, some crazy uh, relationship that we've now got that ourselves got you into. By, by me, yeah, I got you by not doing it. Hmm. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. I've seen yeah. that. I can just imagine God scratching his face going, really? That, that's what you ended up doing? Dude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I happen to love that person very much. And uh, I was kind of hoping you would bless him for me. Um, yeah, these, these, are, these are things that, that, are, that are actually inappropriate. So I think it's a very powerful uh, chapter. But there's also uh, when people don't do what Jesus called us to do, to visit the sick and to, mm -hmm. you know, to, be, to care for even our own community if they're not well or if they're grieving or whatever you know or, or to give money when they they're in need etc 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 i think those can be very much sins of omission that are very much around these days i think yes yeah i don't think, think you've hit the nail on the people. head there Teresa. um mm. what's the expression church is not being church yeah the people of god are not being the people of god yeah. they're not being a community I remember on a Wednesday night when we were at Christ Church and you had asked, well, what is the will of God? And, and that's exactly the will of God is to care for the widows and the orphans and the needy. And uh, it's, it's Ratzon Ladonai or something. I remember that. Yeah, Ratzon Ladonai occurs only. That, that actual um, conjunction of those words only occurs twice in the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. The, the will of the Lord, the thing that is closest to the heart of the Lord. And, when, and in each of those times, it's in relation to looking after the sick, looking after the poor, looking after the widows. Um, so what is the will of the Lord? I want to do the will of the Lord. Well, there it is. It's actually that simple. And it's the same for everybody else. You're calling. Well, that's something else. You, know, you might be called to be an engineer. You might be called to be a rabbi. You might be called to you know, sit in, in Scotland and, and share the faith with your neighbours, you know, but, um, but the will of the Lord remains exactly the same for each of us, mm. and, yeah. uh, which is very, very interesting. Um, yeah, okay. I can't remember whether we did verse 3 or not, but this is, again, is the touching of um, human uncleanness, very particular in for the Kohens uh, of, of the modern-day period, or whoever touches an uncleanness may be with one which becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him. So there's this a sense that he doesn't know that he's done it, but when he comes, but when he comes to know it, and he realizes his guilt. Now, is he guilty once he realizes it, or is he guilty even if he doesn't realize it? What do you think? Good question. He's <laughs> guilty even if he doesn't realize it. So, so Shimshon says guilty when. He realizes it. Even if he doesn't realize it. Uh, even if he does. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. What do you think, Mordecai? The same? Oh, he's gone. But because, because, because Mordecai is a, a, a Kohen, I'm sure he's probably had to deal with this a fair bit where 
you walk down the street and you have no idea. What did I do? Did someone touch me when I shouldn't have? Am I actually allowed to do the office of my job? Uh, these kinds of things. Uh, am I clean or am I unclean? Uh, uh, but yes, so I think, I think I agree with you guys. Guilt comes even if you don't know it, right? Uh, just be ignorance, as they say from last week, ignorance is not bliss. It can be actually quite dangerous. And so the, what we really want to do is continue to learn, to study, and have the light of God reveal everything. We often don't want him to do that, let's be honest, but it's, it's better for all of us. Rocky. Hey, Rocky's here. What do you, what do you got to say, buddy? Oh, shalom. Yeah. Shalom um, I want to bring up Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does Yahovah require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your Elohim? Amen. Yep. One of my favorite verses. Yvonne, Brazil. Um, the question of whether they're guilty or not reminds me of Leviticus 15 with uh, you know bodily discharge. It just continues to defile the tabernacle. So the the longer that you you don't confess, there's just more defilement of of the tabernacle in their midst. So okay. what do you think the word guilty means? What does it mean to be guilty? I mean, um, he doesn't know that he's guilty. So he's walking around life like, no, I'm doing okay. No, I'm, I'm praying. <laughs> I'm studying the Bible. And, you know, the text here implies what is actually guilty. Okay, what am I guilty of? How, how does that relate to me? Any ideas, guys? Breaking uh, God's laws, right? So even if you don't know some of God's laws and you break them, it doesn't mean you're not Sure, guilty. sure. Yes. But what, what does that look like? Or how does that uh, and what does that, does that impact your spirit? Is it, multi, do, do you have anything from um, any rabbinical commentaries on guilt or uh, uh, being guilty at all? Well, we have been studying the Leviticus and we kind of have an idea of what a guilt means. As Sharon says, something like that violates God's law. Okay. And even intentionally or unintentionally, you are committing sin and therefore you are becoming guilty. And you need to become, you need to bring guilt offerings. We will see on verse five. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, yeah, it's coming up. Right. Yeah. It is the same now. You know, if you commit something, then it makes you guilty. You know, that's what, my, that's what I think. So, like, yep. nothing different than today. It's just like in chapter four, it's that we have to accept responsibility. Uh, if, we, if we don't accept it, it still makes us guilty. That this is true. That's right. So, so the accepting of responsibility is actually part of a relationship. Because I'm in a relationship with God and I want to make it right with him, I accept my responsibility. If I'm not in a relationship with God, what do I care? <laughs> right? Your average secular guy, you know, you tell them, oh, man, what are you going to do with your sin? And he just looks at you and he goes, what sin? Like, what do I care? You know, there's no God. When I die, I just go into dust. And, um, and suddenly your argument falls, uh-oh, I don't know what else to say. Uh, um, well, I think it's important to sort of bring out some of the laws of God, right? Because if you just parse through some of the commands of God, right? Sure, sure. But if, if this is, those, those are only applicable to people who want to have a relationship with God. 
great. But if there's somebody who doesn't want to have a relationship with God, saying any of this is is actually moot. You actually it goes over their head. Like, look, I don't, I don't want. They'll just look at you and go, Sharon, that's your truth. You and Jesus, you just sit on the couch and you just have a really nice time. But me and my crystals, we're doing fine, thanks. And um, okay, so a thought is that if you if you present some of the commands of God, so if you start to go through the commandments of God, so you know, have you ever told a lie? Yeah, I I understand all that. But if you if you if you don't have a relationship with God. Who actually cares if you're lying or not? Right. But my point is one way that you can help people to see this reality is to, to, to parse through some of the commandments of God, because then as you think through those, you can ask the question, okay, so have you ever, you know, looked at someone lustfully? Or- yes. And they'll say yes all the time. I've actually right. got a subscription to, you know, some pornography sites. Playboy. <laughs> yeah, Playboy, whatever. And you go, well, that's not a good thing. And they go, why? You know, quoting laws to people who don't have a relationship with God is actually irrelevant. Let's remember, who is Leviticus addressed to? It's addressed to people who are called. We are called into our relationship. Nothing in this text applies to anybody that does not have a relationship to God. It is just not going to have any relevance to them whatsoever it has relevance to the household of faith those who are having a relationship and that's why i think it's very pivotal just like in in verse one that you and i are witnesses of the risen messiah yeah the, the that applies to us but if we don't have a relationship with god why do we care but ultimately aaron then that's when you bring everybody on planet earth face to face with the living god because oh totally i get that yes we will all stand in judgment and and a lot of people will say well i didn't know but yeah yeah i get it but we all are accountable to god right yes but just remember these 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 instructions apply to people who are in a relationship yvonne brazil yeah when you uh you were asked the question what is it what does it feel like, right? The guilt. And I just came to Psalm, Psalm 32, thinking about David for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away um, through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity iniquity, and he confessed and basically was forgiven. And that weight. So it's, it, there's a weight, of course, if you don't know, you've done it for unintentional, but for the intentional, there's the weight, it's the weight on the body, on the health and the bones on just, there's, you know, you lose that, the, the, the fullness of the spirit, it's just dryness and, and, um, there's no life. It's just a, a very, so blessing that, that we are forgiven oh my gosh yes that's uh, um, imagine hearing that weight the assurance of forgiveness is one of the highlights of of the worship service where you get a group of believers who worship the lord they sing they dance they hear the, the words of heaven they listen to the scriptures you know we but, but one of those uh things that really lifts the spirit is for the, the clergy to stand up and say, now, guys, you came here to church because you answered the call. And some of us, you know, we all, we, well, most of us, we all believe in God. 
but some of us still can't be assured of our forgiveness. One of the great treasures is to say the truth is you are forgiven and that is actually Mm -hmm. a real pleasure. All right, so after we have uh, looked at um, the, the, the sin of omission where we don't say the, the witness, all the things that we have seen, we don't say the truth. We don't do the good that we should not have done. Then there's this uncleanliness issue of um, we're a holy people and we're meant to maintain a, a, a type of holiness, okay? So if you happen to be a follower of Jesus, okay, and you're forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, should you have lots of porn on your computer? And the answer is... No, no. okay, you're a holy people. We should reflect that according to the reason we can't touch certain things that are uh, that make us undefiled and unclean. Now we get to another thing that makes us unclean, inappropriate language, oaths, okay, the utterances of uh, the tongue. And verse 4 says, if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath, that's what my translation says, or to do evil, or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him. When he comes to know it and he realises his guilt in any of these things, when he realises his guilt in any of these, these things that have been previously, and he confesses his sin. Note, the first thing you need to do is confess. Then he shall bring to the Lord his compensation for the sin that he has committed. And we start with a female from the flock. We'll get to why we kill females later. Okay, um, but here we are, these interesting oaths. What does that look like? Mordecai, what's, a, what's, a, what's an oath, mate? <laughs> well, uh, here we are talking about a spoken oath. Here it says expressing with his lips. In the halakha, to be valid, an oath must be spoken. A mental oath is not binding. If I'm mentally saying something, oh, I'm going to eat, I'm going to kill, I'm going to say, I'm going to do this, whether it is good or not, I'm not binding myself. But if I'm expressing it with my lips, whether it is good or bad, I'm sinning. If I'm saying, oh, I'm going to feed someone, it's a good thing, right? I'm, I'm swearing, I'm just giving oaths, but it is still forbidden. But if, just, if I am just mentally thinking or giving an oath, it is not valid. It should be a spoken uh, oath. But it is very different than what Yeshua said in Matthew 5.28. Okay. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, if I am committing adultery in my mind and not saying it, you know, according to this verse, I'm not sinning. But Yeshua mm-hmm. says something deeper than yeah. that. Yeah. He says, no, you are. Not. I'm telling you, yeah. Interesting. I just that's noticed interesting. that. Yeah, no, that's a, a very interesting point. The actual text here implies, okay, a verbal verbal with your lips. You're actually physically saying something, okay, which, of course, then leads to, as uh, Mordecai is mentioning, well, then if you're not actually physically saying yeah, and it's just a mental thing in your head, you might be able to change your mind all of a sudden. Like your first reaction was, oh, I'm going to get that guy. Oh, no, wait, I can't actually do that. I'm doing pretty good. I haven't said anything, doing fine. 
uh, Yeshua comes along and says, oh, wait a second, God's a, God's, God hears a lot more than you actually possibly think. <laughs> okay. You're really good at, uh, at hearing your heart. And so there's this, this issue of the heart that's attached um, with, with uh, silence, um, but also the idea of a rash oath. Now, of course, James mentions the tongue in quite stringent terms in his, um, in his epistle. And, uh, and, uh, and Yeshua happens to also say, listen, stop making oaths. Just say the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, crying out loud. Just let, let's all uh, say it like that. Roddy, you have a hand raised. All right. So I'm, I'm, actually, I'm confused. So if, <laughs> I, if I say, okay, I promise I'm going to get this done next week. Is that saying an oath from my mouth is good and it's forbidden? Yeah, if you are saying it with your lips. Wow. It says either good or bad. <laughs> it does. Wow. So, okay, I got to think on that one. <laughs> the, 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 issue, the issue is the power of the tongue, is it not? Yes, I, I, I believe that it talks about um, what, you, what you promise and um, you do not put it in mind. Uh, if you make an oath, it's almost like a promise. And you say when the person finds out, that means it's, it's so rash, it was so irrational that um, he, he, he forgets about it immediately. And um, uh, soon enough, um, he, maybe God helps him and he gets reminded that he did say this and he has to you know, repent of it. I think it should also boils down to us praying that God should bring us to remembrance in anything that we have done. Um, because um, many things passes us by and um, we just forget about them and um, we, we just think it's all good. So we, we, we need to pray that God should show us things that we have done wrong or things we have uttered wrongly so that he can help us to repent from those things. What should be the appropriate use of the tongue within our community? Uh, what 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 really is the appropriate use of this vehicle for each other? Uh, it's for not blessing. just yes. It's for blessing. It's for encouraging. It's for building up the the family. It's for uh, discussing the Bible to to learn a little bit more. It's for uh, for praying, for encouraging, for healing, for for in, for saying uh, the things that help people get through a very difficult moment. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and when we use the tongue inappropriately, and we say things off the top of our head, you know, and, and these are the things that this is where it becomes um, this is where it becomes the sin. This is where it becomes damaging to the body. This is where where uh, we 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 say things to people, and we say things to people. You know, um, I'll pray for you. You ever heard that one by Christians? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I do God not willing. know the percentage of times that prayers are not said after someone yeah. says, I will pray for you. Someone actually told me that he was praying for me daily. I was like, okay. So like you wake up and like say, oh God, thank you for Mordecai, help him out. Well, he could, but I don't know if it's real or not because it's kind of difficult. Sometimes I forget to pray, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, how, how can you pray for somebody daily? If you don't, then don't say it. Well, but lots of people, though, Marty, like write lists and stuff. So I pray daily for different people. Depends on the person. But Some people do, yeah. Depends on the person, meaning, meaning I'm not in your list or what? 
<laughs> Everyone, quickly, let's add Mordecai to our lists, okay? Oh. But the issue is, surely, letting your yes be yes and your no be no. So mm. not to, for, I mean, I'm just thinking of something trivial, but not to say, oh, I'll give you a lift anytime, and then know really that you had no intention of doing it, or mm, I'll yeah. invite you over, or I'll ring you. Um, for any for us to do things like that, and there's the other thing you know that we all find difficult. It's something I had to learn. I have to say, um, which was I hated saying no to people. Yeah. So you say yes. I think it was when I was quite young. You know, with my parents, I wanted to say yes to please them, but I really wanted to say no because I didn't want to do it. And so you end up saying this half-hearted yes, and then you find ways of getting out of it if you can, which is awful. And I think if you could twist that in all sorts of ways, but I really think it's something where we can all just go completely wrong oh, I, on making commitments. Agreeing or, with you right there, Teresa. You know, we all have all that, done this. Our yes yeah. not being yeah. our yes yeah. in all a variety of circumstances. Yeah. So I think that's where we could really do something to change yeah. because it is our own choice to do that. Yeah. 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 I mean, let, let's think Yeshua has has probably read Leviticus, I don't know how many times, and when he turns around to how do you use your tongue appropriately in terms of oaths, he knows, oh, my gosh, people say stupid oaths, good, bad, always inappropriately. He says, it's got to be from the heart. Just let your yes be yes, yeah. and your no be no. That's, yeah. and, and if you've got, a, if you've got a, the right relationship with God and your heart is attached to his heart, then the, the, hopefully the tongue will be in, uh, come under control. And be in line. Fingers crossed, eh? Well, <laughs> yeah, but, um, and all that stuff. Okay, I've got three hands raised. Okay, I don't know who was first, but I'm just going to go across the screen. Sharon, you're up. Yeah, I think ultimately, like getting back to what we were discussing Ooh, yeah. earlier, Aaron, like we, I think it's important for everybody to recognize that we're all accountable to God. And Amen. so even like a non-Christian, so the application today, you know, even though you're saying that, okay, this was just written for the Jews specifically and their, their laws. But again, the application today is that God wants a relationship with each and every human being that he's called. Yeah. And sure, yeah. many are called, few are chosen. But ultimately, every single human being is accountable to God. And we have to tell them that they have to stand before God and they're accountable for the laws that they have broken, whether they know them we or not or even care. agree with you 100% on that, Sharon. Um, and I, I'm sorry if, if it comes across as when I think the, the Torah is just for the Jews. Remember, the new covenant says the law is written on your hearts. Yeah, so it's ours too. We learn from this too. Yeah, uh, right. But I know what you mean, Sharon. I know what you mean. Well, just my second thought, like the, the corollary, is that so once, Everybody that you're saying, okay, lots of people don't understand in this day and age that have grown up very secularly and have never, you know, read the Bible or been exposed to Christian ideas or, you know, biblical ideas. Once they see that they've broken the laws of God, then God's spirit, I think, can work on their hearts and say, wow, like I'm actually a lying, it's, you know, it's possible. sinner it's, it's, that needs God. Because until they see their need for God, then they're not going to need God. Like you're saying, I totally agree with you, Aaron. Yeah. They don't see their need for God. Yeah. No, I uh, Roddy and I, as 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 uh, we we talk to a lot of secular Jews, do we not, Roddy? And, and Gentiles, uh, and Gentiles, and 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 you sometimes think, well, I'll just you know, quote some Bible verses at them, and 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 God will reveal Himself. It's not always that simple. 
<laughs> wish, it, wish it was. Bringing them back to their the, the way that they break the commandments yeah. of God, I yes. also just see their need for yeah. a savior because when they stand before God, yeah. what are they, what would be? We are we we partake in the expansion of the kingdom of heaven, but no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws them. That doesn't make me a Calvinist, okay? Uh, but uh, but there's a there's definitely the the, the spirit involved in, in that in that process. Okay, who was actually next? I can't see. Is it, uh, Rocky. Okay. Rocky, you're up, mate. Okay. Um, yeah, God willing, I will be studying more Bible scripture than I have been. God willing, I will go to my sister's on Saturday. God willing, I will try to do better. <laughs> I am, though. You, you have been. Thanks, Rocky. Yes. Whatever. This Rosh Hashem. All of those things are awesome. And may they all come to fruition, and may you have a blessed Sabbath to boot. Yeah. Okay, uh, Brazil, Yvonne. The uh, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Mm. And uh, and it's interesting. You shall not swear by my name falsely as so to profane, profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So it's we also profane his name when we don't keep it. Roddy, you just said a few of them. So. <laughs> yes, no, it's my true. When, when, we, when, we swear, when we give oaths inappropriately, we profane the name of the Lord. When we, it's not just profanity in terms of swearing, but um, people watch what we do. They watch what we say, do they not? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they'll hold us to account. And that's humans. Mm-hmm. How much more does God, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. REA, hand raised. Wait, wait, just one more thing. Uh, and then it's interesting. It says a gentle tongue is a tree of life. That's in Proverbs. I never noticed that. And it's interesting because of the features on our face, our eyes, nose, ears. It's, it's, it's interesting that, um, I don't know where I heard this, but the tongue is the one that has, it's like, it has two cages, right? It has like a fortified wall of teeth. So it doesn't come out and say things that it shouldn't. And then besides our teeth don't hold in that tongue, we've got the lips. So it's amazing how we, in the sense we have like two, you know, one is really fortified, like and then the second enclosure, because it really can uh, profess a lot of death and do a lot of damage. Yeah. I mean, let's put it in connection to the idea of um, not speaking the truth, right? The, the tongue is incredibly powerful. And as witnesses of the risen Messiah, if we have not been sharing the truth, then h- how does the, the words of Paul in, in Romans, you know, how can they believe if someone doesn't? How can they hear if someone doesn't speak, if someone doesn't go preach to them? Mm-hmm. Right? It's, um, it's a, silence isn't golden, not always. Um, REA, you did have a hand raised. I did. I just was going, well, as usual, I uh, want to put a word in edgewise to a number of things that have been stated. We've talked quite uh, frequently about breaking God laws uh, on behalf of uh, the unbelievers. I would submit that we need to bear in mind that it is not the breaking of the rules that concerns God for them. It's their unbelief. Unbelief is the found is the foundational sin. God, God doesn't keep a list of all the things people have broken, but he's well aware of people who believe and those who do not believe. And the world is brought into judgment, not because they broke the rules, but because they do not believe. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so once you do believe, then you have the instructions of the Lord. Well, let me state very, very strongly, 
Jesus' commandments, and I've stated this before, but it remains true. Jesus' commandments are given verbally in person. They're not given as a printed list of rules. He's told his disciples to teach other disciples to do all the things they were instructed. And then he capped it off by saying, and I'm with you till the end of the age. Wherever Jesus' commandments go, Jesus goes personally. He doesn't give us a cut and dry list of rules. He talks to us and he delivers his instructions in person. Right. That doesn't mean that you don't write things down on a piece of paper to help you remember, though. And doesn't mean <laughs> that you don't produce books or commentaries or anything like that. That's, that's what I don't think you're, you're saying, REA, that we get rid of anything, something called a seminary and or any form of uh, scholarship, I, correct? I said no such thing in no, my practice. Good. It's yeah, not, yeah. It's not yeah. that at all, as you well know. Correct. Absolutely. Because I've actually been to Bible studies with REA, and uh, every time I do, I walk away with reams of paper. <laughs> okay. Uh, because. No. Is... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly that, Kate. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Is, uh, and I'm writing stuff down now already as we talk, as we, as we share, is that um, faith uh, is, is, is not parchment, you think. It's something that's a lot more alive and it is in the person of the risen Messiah, uh, who is indeed with us. Absolutely. Talking about um, the tongue and how we should tame it, um, if we go to Proverbs, Proverbs 26, verse 4, and um, verse 5, you know, speaks in a very interesting way. See, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be like him. Then verse 5 becomes anti-late, and it says, answer a fool according to his folly, least he becomes wise in his own eyes, you know. Um, when to speak and when not to speak, I think we, we, we need to um, depend truly on the Holy Spirit. Um, we cannot um, really devise it by ourselves. Um, we must give ourselves to the study of the Word of God and to prayers. Then it refines us how to speak and when to speak. Um, you just see a lot of people, they use very vague language in public, and you, you're so shocked how they can do that. Um, but you cannot do that because of what you have in you. And um, that is um, what can help us to go through um, trying to tame the tongue. Then also, if we look at all the things here that were referred to as sins, um, they're not things like um, kill or steal or, you know, murder and, you know, adultery and those things. There are things that um, we just call them... Um, yeah, when when somebody is um, contaminated, yeah, you know, when you touch yeah. something um, that is not clean, and when you do other things, and at the end of the day, they were referred to as sin. They were referred to as sin, and um, it's it makes it very interesting that it, they were all referred to as sin, and that um, we need to pay penalty for it. Yes, the discussion is clean and unclean, which is a sin. Yes, yeah, and and it's hidden, not hidden. It's guilt applied, yes. but you don't actually understand. It's something is, and it reflects also the character of God. But how are the holy people of God, including you and me, meant to actually behave? How are we supposed to, what are we supposed to look like? Andrew asks, are we still on unintentional sin? Yes and no. It can be intentional that you don't say something. So it's a different type of sin. It's the sin of omission, which can become a bit of, 
uh, a gray area, intentional, unintentional. Were you scared? Were you nervous? There are all kinds of reasons why you perhaps didn't say something. Uh, unintentionally, did you did you touch or did you deliberately touch a dead body? But we're actually now talking about clean and unclean, which later becomes a sin. Uh, uttering oaths, perhaps uh, with with your lips, whether they would be good or bad. Um, you didn't realize them to be an actual sin, so that might become that might imply that it's actually unintentional. It's very, very complicated, uh, uh, Andrew. But, yeah, good point. All right. So the last thing we'll do before we finish, man, we didn't get through many verses either. Boy, it was an enlightening discussion, as uh, Kate said in her, mm. in her message before she left. We, um, uh, Aaron. Yes, sir, Aaron. Roddy. Where we're at right now, um, Sharon keeps mentioning talking to people about their sins and we're discussing how do we get them to wake up. And then you mentioned the uh, Gospel of John. We don't get to get to Yeshua unless the Father brings him. And then Arya speaks in, well, the Father is more concerned about belief. We just have to believe. And so all this stuff comes together in fruition until we believe then we're not going to be aware or even care about any sins or omissions or violating any of these things. But once we believe, then if we're going to come before him at some point in time, we have a choice. We can do it his way or we can do it our way. So this is, for me, this makes it clear why these things are so important. Once we've learned to believe, and know in our hearts that God is real, and the only way to get to the Father is through the Son, we have to look to these for directions on how to do it. So I, I see all these things as a full circle. Yep, thanks, Rod. Yes, I agree, uh, Roddy. Thank you very much uh, for that. Excellent. All right. Any other comments before we just finish here? Because uh, I just wanted to say that um, once you realize guilt, What's the first thing that Moshe says for people to do? Confess. Confess. Okay. Is um, um, confession uh, is a big part of repentance, okay? And uh, and that is the reason why in some traditional churches the, the, there's always an opportunity to confess. Um, but here you have the idea and to confess the sin. Is this something you do privately? Usually, it's actually done in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are talking about verse 5. Yeah. Oh, uh, he needs to go to the courtyard and lean his hands on the korban, as we studied before. So confessing sins, like he goes to the temple with his korban, with his offering, and he leans his hands and confesses the sin and gives, gives it to the Kohen. So confession yeah. is public, is what yeah. uh, Mordecai is uh, mentioning there. Not yeah. like in the Anglican church that you need to go to a box. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of the verse oh, in James no. where he says we're encouraged to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we may be healed. Yes. Is that in, is that in First John or is that in? James, uh, James isn't it? Is it James? It's, it's, in, it's in the epistles, but I can't remember which one. Shimshon, what you're saying? Yeah, I think um, for confession, it can be both, depending on the situation. Um, it's not everything that can be public. Right. And uh, right. There, there, there are some situations that you have to deal with it privately. 
and um, then maybe it can later be dealt with publicly. But if you look at the text there, it says the person confesses, then it goes with his um, with it goes with his sacrifices. Then it didn't say he's going to confess with his sacrifices. It confesses, then it goes with his sacrifices. So for me, it seems more like um, a private confession than it goes for the public um, um, as, you know, acceptance of his sin, and which is almost a confession uh, in itself. Okay. What I, what I see in um, the way Mordecai described it, remember the guy puts his hands on the sacrifice? At some point, whether you've done a private confession or not, you have to take a sin offering in public to, to the priest. So sooner or later, somebody's going to see you doing this action. And uh, so part of our, our, um, our repentance is also public. It's something that is visible and, and what people can see to everybody else. Because they'll go, oh, look. There's Aaron. He's bringing some sort of sin offering. He must have done something. Otherwise, he wouldn't be doing this. Uh, I wonder what it was. Let's all get really close and listen because we're all gossip artists. We really want to know what he did. Uh, there's Aaron, you know, like whispering very quietly into the ear of his goat. I'm really sorry. Yeah, for this, okay? But, um, you're also incredibly tasty. All right, but anyway, there you go. It's true. Confession is, is, you know, there are there are circumstances where there are times when when brothers have to get to each other very privately, as you have seen, you know, before you bring your gift to the altar and you know you have a grievance with one of your brothers, you go to him. Yeah. And uh, it's probably a very private private uh, occurrence, but it's also but God is obviously present, so it's not private to him. Uh, and Aaron, that's a really good point because, like you were saying, even at the beginning of the study, that we were, you were saying, first of all, you need to be aware of your sin then accept responsibility, then confess your sin, repent, then you restore that fellowship, and then you can be assured of forgiveness. That's really good thought. It, like, yeah, a lot of that all flows in. And there's a, it's a real shame that we see in the leadership of our communities today. I mean, it's a generalization. It's not fair for all shepherds. We do have some great shepherds, but there, there are some where um, they, they whitewash sins now. And, and sins have become the sin of intolerance or racism or something. And no one's really sure what the heck that actually means. And real <laughs> things that afflict our souls and afflict, afflict our relationship with the risen God that actually really do need to be dealt with, and dealt yeah. with publicly, so that have restored relationships. They're, they're, not, they're not guiding us into that anymore. And it's, a, it's to the detriment of the kingdom of heaven. Yom Kippur is an annual public confession. It's, it's uh, and yes, and, and, there's, and there's these right? 10 days of awe ahead of time where you get all kinds of things happening. Um, uh, and that's a specific time, although this is not related to a specific time. Yeah, like that, of course, like you mentioned, um, a lot of people are there to confess their sin. Um, well, it's it's going to be strange that trying to listen to, up to another person saying, oh, what has this guy done? I think everybody's mind, um, ideally, everybody's mind should be focused on him and how to get someone with God again and um, not trying to peep at the other man. And, um, you know, like Jesus used the, um, the story of the Pharisee and a, a layman that came before the altar of God 
and um, one was saying, "No, I'm not like this um, man that is so um, that is like this, like that." And um, you know, God did not receive him. That was the uh, one of the priests. But the other man said, "I'm not worthy. Just have mercy on me." And God received him. So when people come and um, they're all there, I, I think their mind should be more concentrated on um, getting what God has for them. Amen. There is a, a response, a, an acceptance of responsibility, which results in uh, the, the bringing of an offering, which is a female. Okay, which uh, actually Shimshon highlighted last week. Those animals occur the most common in the flock, so they are actually the least expensive of all of your animal offerings. Okay, I mean the most expensive would be your prize stud, yeah, who you use to make more flock um so 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 there's actually it's not the most expensive of offerings uh lamb or goat right they're both exactly the same so this whole you know the separation of sheep and the goats in matthew 24 25 is actually referring to something else and um and the priest will make atonement for his sin now that'll have to be a discussion uh for next week what does it mean to atone um, or a sin in this context, or any context, actually. But we can examine those words. Okay, guys, uh, we'll leave it there. Blessings to you guys. Please all keep healthy, keep strong. And, uh, and as we've learned today, let's be bold to be good witnesses for the risen Messiah. May we have the encouragement not to be silent, but actually to share and expand the kingdom of God and make his name great, because has he not done amazing things for us? Yes, he has. We have been beneficiaries of his love and his protection towards us, and it, um, it falls upon as part of our responsibility to share that love with our, our fellow men. So brothers and sisters, be blessed, and for those that are hearing on podcasts, please also be blessed. May you guys be well and keep safe. We really do hope that we'll have the opportunity to share uh, an adventure again together next week. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, Please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King. <laughs>